Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. Hey, this is our, uh, this is our last week um, in the series, No Matter What, where we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And as we walk through Philippians verse by verse, one of the things that, um, that I really do appreciate about doing this type of thing is that you, you, you get this idea where you understand what the text is saying and you communicate what the text is saying. That's why we're committed to verse by verse expository preaching because you, you kind of have to do that when you do that. And uh, as I was thinking about like what the text says, specifically the one that we're looking at this week, um, I, I couldn't help but th- start thinking about like song lyrics. I am, I am really, really bad at getting song lyrics right. And honestly, when it comes to music, like I just kind of like the way it makes me feel, and so I don't really pay attention to what it's saying. You know, maybe some of you are with me there. And so we have, me and my wife have a lot of discussions in the car about what's actually being said. Um, and she'll be like, how do you like that song? It just sounds so stupid. <laughs> like, what, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't really care. It makes me feel good. And so I thought it'd be fun if we looked at a few songs this morning um, that are, their lyrics are often misheard, Okay. And so this first one is by Credence Clearwater Revival, or CCR in short. Uh, This is my gift to my dad is by playing this song in church. So you can hear it here. Okay, so it's a lot of debate on what he's saying. Is there a bathroom on the right? No, there is a bad moon on the rise. Now, don't get me wrong, like a bathroom on the right, like that's kind of like a Weird Al kind of, kind of lyric there, and maybe there is a bathroom on the right, but that is not what he is talking about in the song, and if you really want to appreciate the song, you need to know what is actually saying. Okay, this next one is by Manfred Mann. It's called Blinded by the Light. Oh, no. The lyrics, yes? Oh, no, no. Go there. It doesn't mean that. All right, I'm gonna, you can play the, you can play it. mean that. Like, it do- I know what you're thinking, you pervert. Like, it's not what it's saying, okay? That's not it. It's saying, revved up like a deuce, another runner in the night. A deuce is a car. That's what he's talking about. Little fun fact about that song, it was originally written by Bruce Springsteen. It's his only number one hit. He didn't do the number one hit. Someone else did it, and they sang the lyrics wrong, the way, not the way Bruce Springsteen did. So it's really kind of a bummer for him. But I think he's doing okay. But again, like understanding the lyric, like you're able to appreciate what's happening when you understand what's being on. This last one is, uh, is one that's really important. Uh, it's the Lion King, Circle of Life. I know, I know what you think it's saying, and it's not. Here, listen to it. You, I know you hear that and you think, it's like saying like, ah, it's a bit, yeah, I gotta be, that's not what it's saying. 
No, it's not. No, no, what it's saying is it's saying, not in ganyama, baggy beef, baba, sith um, in ganyama. So now you know. It's so much easier to understand now, right? Like, you're like, wow, I can appreciate this song. I mean, here's, the, here's the thing, though, like, when it comes to music, like, when you understand what it's saying, you can, in, except for maybe Lion King, you can understand, like, you appreciate, you enjoy, like, okay, that makes, that makes a lot more sense. I like the song more, because now I know what he's, like, what the, what the original person who wrote it meant to say. Okay, like, you can, you can take that to scripture. And one of the verses in our, in, in Philippians we're going to look at this morning is, honestly, it's one of the most famous verses in all of Philippians. It's probably quoted more than any other verse in all of the book of Philippians. And more often than not, it's quoted wrong. It's taken out of context, it's put on an island, and, and when it does it, you, you, you don't get to enjoy it for what it says. I'm going to read it to you here. It's Philippians 4.13, and this is what it says. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so what we'll do is we'll take that verse and we'll not look at what is being said around it and we'll almost treat it as if like we have this superpower in Christ to be almost unstoppable. And, and, it, and it, on an island, you can make that, make the case. I've actually found some people that, there's some examples of that. There's, I was looking for Philippians 4.13 and I found Philippians 4.13 MMA fight shorts. Like, it's like, I can do, I can do all things through him. Like, that, that's what they're, like, they're saying. Like, it's like, I can do this. I, I got this. Another one that I found is a Philippians 4.13 champagne glass. And you can take, your mind go that way you want. <clears throat> the, it, it's saying, I, I, and here's the thing, like, it, that's not what he's talking about. That if you look at what Paul is actually talking about in Philippians chapter 4, it's far more real world than that. It's actually far more powerful if you look at what he's saying, especially in the context and the world that we live in. So let's take a look at this. Philippians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 10, actually. It goes like this. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking, a, speaking in need, for I've learned whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That what Paul is saying is he's saying, no matter what circumstances are in my life, I can, I can be okay. He's saying, you know, I, I, he's writing this in prison. And he's saying, I haven't always been in prison. I've actually been in places where I've done okay. And now, I, now I'm not. But I'm okay. And the reason why I'm okay is because of him who strengthens me. And I just think of this in terms, I remember 2008 and 2009 pretty vividly. And, and I, think of, I think of this passage in those terms, and, and who were the people in the last recession who took it the hardest? It was probably the people who had the most to lose, right? 
They, they, they had a lot. And then all of a sudden, like almost overnight, they didn't. And it was shocking and it was difficult. And what Paul is offering us here in the text is saying, you can have a hope that can sustain you through a recession. It's talking to us and I think about it in terms of like, it would be really hard to lose what we have, right? There's this, um, this ESPN 30 for 30 documentary called Broke. And it's, it follows around former NFL players who, who played NFL football and they made millions of dollars. And, and as it followed them around, like it followed them around today and they squandered all of their money that they made while they were playing in the NFL. And now they live lives and they have jobs like us. And the reason why it's such a compelling story and why it was such a great dog is because you, you look at it and you think, man, how hard would it be to have so much and then to lose it all. I mean, even not to that extent, but just think of your life. Maybe you're not like an NFL player, but you're further ahead of where you were when you started. I would imagine if that's where you are, I don't think there's probably anything inside of you that says, you know what I'd like? I'd like to go backwards. I'd like to lose everything that I've worked for. But the reality of life is that nothing is secure. That we're all one phone call away from our, our world being turned upside down. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something about the gospel. That it's enough. That it, it's, it's enough that if you have everything and lose it, you can still be okay. Because it's better than anything else that you have. And when you think about our world with, the, with all the nuance and all the, like, this is what we need. That it's there in case we lose it. It's all, this text also speaks, though, to the people maybe in this room who, who when I talk about, you look at your life and, and to be honest with you, contentment's hard for you because you look at your life in comparison to someone else all the time. So you're always thinking, man, I wish I had what they had. But you scroll and you wish that you were there. Maybe even there's a sense for some of you where you feel a little bit of guilt because you're not able to provide your family with something that someone else is able to provide their family. And this text speaks to you too. It's saying that you can learn what it means to have enough and be content with where you are. And here's what I, what I, one of the things I love so much about this passage in particular is that the way Paul talks about it, if you notice, he calls it a secret. He's like, I've learned the secret. And, and, okay, so just kind of like think about our world. Think about your circles. Think about the people that you run with. Think about people. How many people do you know that you could define as content. It was a secret then, and it feels like a secret now. I think it's funny that Paul uses the word secret there, because it's, it's actually like not a secret. Some people think that what Paul's doing is he's taking a little bit of a jab at people who, who are opposing him, because the secret is, is Jesus. 
That if you want to learn how to be content with where you are and what you have, it's as simple as finding Jesus. And if you do, you will have enough because he's really all that you need. Yeah, but if you think about the letter though, and you think about what's happening, it's, it's kind of funny because like Philippians was written in a context where this church at Philippi sent a gift to Paul. And Philippians is Paul's response to the, the gift that this church gave him. And when you think about it in like that terms, like this is kind of a weird way to accept a gift, right? Like, thank you so much for what you gave me. I've had more, but I've also had less. I really appreciate it. I mean, why don't you try that at Christmas, right? Like, man, I, I like this shirt a lot. I've had nicer shirts. I've had worse shirts, but I can wear this through him who gives me strength. But as, we, and, and as the letter moves forward, what you see Paul do, though, is you see him, him show us how to accept the gift. Look, he says, yet it was kind of you, this is verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's happening here? The one of the things that we see Paul do is he's showing us how to accept the gift. And one of the things he's showing us is he's, he's thankful for their gift. He's thankful. He appreciates their gift. But he also acknowledges that their gift is not what is sustaining him. He's not like overdoing it, but he's also not underdoing it. He also gives us a little bit of backstory on his relationship with this church. One of the things that we see about this church is that this isn't the first time they gave him a gift. That it is, not only is this not the first time, but Paul himself, the gift is so meaningful to Paul because Paul's like, I didn't ask for it and you gave it. He's like, you, you believe in what I'm doing so much that I don't even have to ask, but you want to be with me in what I'm doing and you want to take care of me. But even it shows us in the letter, it shows us some, a little bit about giving. Not so much maybe how we give or, or why, but we see here in the letter what happens when we give. And a few things happen when, when you give. One of the things that you see is you see that when you give, you partner with whoever is doing the work. That there's a partnership that happens. And so like when you give to New Life, okay? When you give to New Life, you are partnering with the work that New Life is doing. Some of you will never come on stage and sing and praise God for that, right? But here's the thing. When you give, you, give, you enable us to have the ability to, to put people on stage and do that. 
But some of you, you'll never work in the back with kids. But you enable us to have people who can. And as you give, what you're doing is you're, you're partnering with us. Even just for, for New Life. One of the things about New Life that a lot of people don't know is that every single month, one of the things that we do is we support 29 missionaries local and abroad every month. And one of the reasons why we do this is because they're doing work that we, we can't do. We support a guy in Afghanistan. Like we can't go there, but they're there. And so as we give to them, we're enabling them to do the work. And, and in a very real way, we're part of what's happening. That's one of the reasons why we want to take on Oasis Refuge this, over, over Christmas break. Is we, we want to take on Oasis Refuge because here's the reality. We can't do the work, but they're there doing it. And as we partner with them, it's like we're doing it with them. Paul's saying, as you give to me, you're partnering with the work that's happening. Not only do we see that there's a partnership that happens, but you also see that, that when you give, it increases like your credit in heaven. Like I think credit's a very interesting word that Paul uses. He says, I seek the fruit that increases your credit. Now, Paul is not like, he doesn't work at Edward Jones. Like he's not managing like a Roth IRA for them. Like saying like, hey, at 65, you'll be able to take this out at no penalty. No, what he's talking about something else. He's saying, when you give, you're, you're storing up treasure beyond this life. He's saying, when, when you give, you're investing in something beyond what you can see. And someday, someday you're going to reap the benefit of that. You know, I don't know this how it works at the end, but one of the things that I just imagine is I imagine myself standing in the presence of Jesus. And really, as I stand in the presence of Jesus someday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to lay my life out before him. And I just, I just think that in that moment when I do that, there will be no part of me that's like, check out all this cool stuff I had. You see this TV? Dude, I mounted it on my wall. Okay, I didn't. Someone else did it for me. But still, isn't that sweet? <laughs> but what I'm going to want to say in that moment is I wanna, I'm going to want to say, I, I, I gave to this moment. I gave because I believed that this moment was more valuable than any moment in, that I was going to see up to that point. When you give, it increases your credit. You also see another thing about giving here. As you notice, he uses the word offering. Okay, and I, I've never thought about this until like this week. But you ever thought it's kind of weird that we use the word offering to describe when, when we give? Like, I've just never really, I've always thought, but what he's talking about is like, when you give, it's like an offering in the Old Testament. Though what would happen in the Old Testament is they would offer a sacrifice, and, and, and they would, it usually involved some type of meat, and they would cook it, and the, the smell would go up to heaven, and they would say that it was a sweet aroma in God's nostrils. And of course, it's, it's roasted meat. Like, that smells amazing. And, and it, would, it would go, and what, what Paul is saying, he's saying that when you give, when you sacrifice in that way, it, it, it's a fragrant offering to God. 
that it pleases him in the same way as an Old Testament. Like that, that's, that's the picture. And then if you look at that last line there, he says, and my God, like when you give, and my God will supply every need of yours. And it's so important that we look at that in context with what we just read. Like Paul's saying, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. Like that's the context that's happening. And so what, what is it not? Like I think it's really, what is it not saying? It's not saying, hey, give and you'll be rich. It's not saying, hey, if you give, if you give, then you will see an increase of a hundredfold. What it's saying is it's saying that if, that when you give, you can be confident that God will take care of your needs. There's no, it doesn't say once. There's no speaking of abundance, but there's this sense that it's like, if you trust God in this way, He'll meet your needs. And I, and I honestly, I believe that sometimes God gives us more because he can trust us with what has come our way. That Paul wrote another letter to the church at Corinth. It was a second letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he says this, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And God gives to you so that you can give. That the things that come to you aren't always for you, but sometimes they're just meant to go through. And I think of that for new life. One of the things we did last year was the first time we've ever done this, and we finished the year by supporting another ministry. We just supported Venture. And, and I'll be honest with you, like for me personally, that, is a very, that was a very big step of faith. Because, I mean, honestly, the way that it works a lot of times is people are getting their year-end tax stuff done. And, and that's, like, that's usually the biggest, offer, like, the biggest month of our general, for our general fund, okay? To take away from that and to give to something else, is, it's very stressful when part of your job is staying in budget, I felt like God was asking us to do it. And so we did and we gave to venture. And, and here's what I can tell you. That this year, that this year as a church has been our most fruitful, blessed financial year that we have ever had in the history of new life, me being here. And I can't help but wonder if some of that has to do with us saying, okay, we're going to trust you with what comes our way. That we're not looking in terms of how do we hoard but how can we give and be faithful to do what God's asked us to do? Now, if you look at the letter, this seems like a really great place for the letter to end, right? Like Paul says, amen, which seems like, okay, the end. But Paul, you want to get one last thing in there. There's a little bit of a little PS there after the amen. And this is how he really finishes Philippians. And he says this, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. That Paul brings the letter back to where it started. It started with grace. And it ends with grace. 
that when you think about even just walking with Jesus, really, what is it all about? It's about grace. It's about being transformed by the grace of God that comes into your heart and makes you a new person. What Paul is saying is he's saying, this is what, ma- it, what matters is grace. And how does grace ex- express itself? Well, it expresses itself through greeting every saint. And I would just remind you that last week we looked at the first part of chapter four. And one of the things we realized is there are people in Philippi who are in the church who don't get along. And Paul calls both of them saints. And what he's saying is saying, when you're transformed by grace, you learn not to take a side. And you also see this picture as he finishes the letter that there are new saints that have been added to the church. That Paul has been under house arrest for a period of time. And as he's been put in house arrest, he has told the gospel to every single person who works for Caesar. And now we have saints who are in Caesar's household. And why do we have saints from Caesar's household? Because the Philippians partnered with Paul through their giving. And because they did, the gospel went places that it wouldn't have normally gone. And that's Philippians. And now as we, as we kind of apply this to our lives, I would just, I would ask ourselves three questions to just consider as we walk out the door this morning from this text. And the first one is this is, can I be content no matter what? That's what, I mean, that's what it's, it's asking, is it's kind of driving in that way. Can you be content no matter what? Can I live my life in a way that trusts God so much that even if I lost it all, I'd be Okay. Can I live my life in a way that isn't so afraid of all the things that could go wrong, but that just trusts him that he's got me, and that even if the worst possible scenario happened, I'd be okay because I have enough? Can I, can I, can I be a person who doesn't compare what I have to other people but just be thankful for, for the lot that God has showed me in this life. Can I do that? And the answer to that is, if you ha- yes, if you have discovered that Jesus is enough. That if you have discovered that Jesus is enough, then here's the beauty of this life. You've discovered the secret. And it's that the only thing that matters can never be taken from you. What we do, though, is we make Jesus part of it. But there's another part, usually. It's Jesus and something else. And that's why we become so uneasy. Because that something else can be taken away. And if your hope ultimately is in something that can be taken away, you will never experience true contentment. But if you believe and have discovered him to be enough, you can. Another question this text asks us is, do I trust Jesus no matter what? Like, do I, do I trust him no matter what? When I think about this church at Philippi, like, who's supporting Paul, they, they supported him because they trusted Jesus no matter what. That we can assume that as they gave to what Paul was doing, they gave sacrificially, they gave above and beyond. And, and it's really important to realize that they, they gave not because they had like enough to spare, 
but they gave because they trusted Jesus. And here's the thing, anytime, whether we're talking about giving or anything that God's asking you to do that you don't want to do, when you do it, you show them that you trust them. And the first step's always the hardest. I think about it this way. My kids, we play this really stupid game where they'll stand on, like, on my bed and it's kind of tall and they just fall back into my arms. There's this trust fall thing. And um, when we started doing it, uh, they were really skittish. And so they would do this, like they would look back and kind of, you know, do this thing. And, and my son, he's, he's not as daring all the time as my daughter. And so his knees would buckle, like when he was going backwards, which made it really hard to catch him because like my, you know, I wasn't staying in the right place. But after a few times doing it, they were, now they like, they want to do it. Like they, they, they were like, we go in the room and they're like, can we do a trust fall, daddy? And my daughter, she's crazy. Like she'll go to the one end of the bed and run backwards as fast as she can and just like jump. And that's like super dangerous, but whatever. And so, but here's what, why do they do it? Because they learned that they can trust me. They learned that like, hey, I'm going to be there to catch you. And if I'm going to be there to catch you, you can jump. But they would have never experienced that if they wouldn't have taken the first step. I mean, some of you, God's got things for you. There's things he wants you to experience in your life in all kinds of facets. You know that God is asking you to do something and you're just scared. And I would just say, just take the first step. And then what you'll discover is that every step is still kind of hard, but they get easier over time and then they get fun. The tech asks us, do I trust Jesus no matter what? And then as I close, the last question that it asks is, Am I willing to accept his grace no matter what? Am I willing to accept the grace of Jesus no matter what? And, and for maybe for some of you, like, you're okay with receiving grace for yourself. But man, you have a really hard time showing it to other people. When you make a mistake, it's like, why won't you just show me grace? But when it's someone else, you're like, how dare they? You know, if that's you, I would say that maybe you haven't accepted his grace no matter what. Because part of the grace of God, it transforms us in a way where we're able to show grace freely to other people. That's why Paul says to greet every saint. Every saint means even the ones you don't like. And then for some of you, the question of, will I accept his grace no matter what? It's, it's a question of, of the gospel converging with your life. Are you willing to put your faith in him and experience his grace for you? And for some of you, that's really difficult. And the reason it's difficult is because you look at your past and your past is littered with sin and shame. And so your thought is in your heart of hearts, there is no way that he would forgive me. There's no way he would, there's no way that grace is mine because of all the things that I've done. But the letter started with grace and it ended with grace. And the reason why is because we all need his grace. And there's nothing that you can do that will make him not want to give it to you. 
But oftentimes the only thing that stands in the way of us really truly experiencing God's grace is us. It's our pride. Uh, It's us thinking of all the reasons why we're unworthy. But hear me, we're all unworthy, but that's why we all need grace. You haven't disqualified yourself because Jesus lived his life for you. You just got to put your faith there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that you are willing to show us grace no matter what. God, even though we don't deserve it, even though we're not worthy of it, that God, you freely give us what we don't deserve. Grace. Help us, God, to rest in that. Help us, God, to trust in that. I pray that that we would be a group who's transformed by the grace. If there's anyone here who hasn't experienced the grace of God, I pray that you you would save them. I pray that you would forgive them of their sins and that Jesus, that by your grace, they would, be, they would make you the Lord of their life. And then God, I pray as, our grace, as your grace transforms all of us, that you would help us to be people who are content. Help us, God, not to think of our lives in terms of what we don't have or what we want, but God, to think of it in terms of all that you've given us and of the fact that the gospel is enough. Thank you, God, that you give, us, you give us a hope that goes far beyond anything we could know. Jesus, we love you and we worship you. God, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. And if you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.